Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat Podcast on the Serious Angler Network. I'm your host, Adam Deacon, and guys, we've got an awesome show lined up today. Super excited. Uh, Trent, I had on when Business from the Bass Boat was separate from Serious Angler a while back, and uh, it's been really cool to watch him grow with his business, Sonar Pros, uh, and we'll get into everything around that. Also, as an angler and everything he's doing, fishing the NPFL, I'm excited to just get into, uh, I mean, what this show's about, really the business side and the fishing side. So without further ado, let's get Trent to the stream. Trent, how are you, man? What's going on, brother? Man, just another day, grinding it out. I'm sure uh, you feel the same way. I see the boat in the background. Yeah, I'm... uh... We're, we're down here in the garage tonight. We've got some, some people, some folks upstairs. So I figured this would be a better space for us, but yeah, we, uh, I'm looking forward to uh Friday coming up. Cause, uh, this has been a week so far. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm lucky. I'm, uh, the way when we're recording this, this will go out the following Monday, but I'm, I'm headed to, uh, go watch my younger brother wrestle at, uh, NCAAs in, uh, Detroit. So I've had a heck of a week work-wise, podcast-wise, getting things all done in advance so I can take off uh, tomorrow afternoon and jump on a plane. Yeah, that's uh, uh, I know how that is. Trying to trying to get out of town for anything is always tough when you when you have a you know a business and then a job on top of that. I can understand. Exactly, man. Exactly. Well, dude, without uh, with, with that's a good leading, I guess. I'm curious because I know the last time we had talked all in on sonar pros. You had a job too. I mean, where, where does everything stand in your life now? You're fishing. What, what is, uh, what's the update? Yeah. So it, you know, I don't, I don't tell too many people this, but, um, so I, I do still have a full-time job in the automotive world. Um, Mm -hmm. I have not gotten to the point yet where I'm wanting to move full-time with sonar pros. Um, even though I pretty much am full-time with sonar pros, um, (laughs) it, uh, I essentially have two full-time jobs, um, been able to, to, to balance it out. You know, when, when, I think when you and I talked COVID hadn't made an impact yet, but, um, when COVID came around, kind of gotten a unique opportunity where with my full-time job where I used to travel a lot, that travel aspect got eliminated. It gave me the opportunity to really push the sonar pros, um, you know, business and brand and kind of see what I could do in a, in a period of time, um, to, to grow it. So I'm kind of at that teeter totter point where we're, we're, um, let's just say we're, we're building spreadsheets to decide what we do. Um, but I am, um, no, as of right now, I, I have a full-time job in the automotive space. That's, I grew up around the automotive world's what I'm familiar with. And then, Mm -hmm. um, I also run sonar pros. What has changed since you and I last talked is we now have um, I think we're up to seven people that work for Sonar Pros. Um, so cool. I am more in the the management side of the business now, more so than the uh, the hands on boat rigging and building the harnesses myself. It's all you know gotten to gotten to change the way I interact with the business, and then also you know I, I tournament fish on the side as well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call that a job, but um, you know three busy avenues in my in my life right now <laughs> a lot of time man yeah, yeah that's a lot that's a lot of time and a lot of work uh you know 100 yeah and it's it's awesome to hear um your expansion with sonar pros um because that that's got to be i'm curious too through this era right of covid um a lot of job situations i'm an example 100 percent of one of them being able to spend time working from home that is transitioned yep to be able to spend more time on the podcast. And I don't feel like I'm working any less work-wise. I feel like I'm working more, <laughs> but yep, I have the, 
the ability to, uh, hey, I need to send an email out for this. I don't have to always be necessarily zoned in uh, into one thing. Uh, and I am curious to see throughout like history being uh, a deal here, how many businesses start during COVID, right? There's got to be so many that are cranking right now that are gonna, we're going to see in like five, six years from now, like the next giant businesses, regardless fishing industry or not. Yeah, it's interesting because like I, I, I'll give my example, but I've actually got a total of, I think, six friends now that um, have started businesses during COVID because of available time. And and I don't mean it from the perspective of my full-time job. I'm not busy, but um, to give a brief overview, my my job in the automotive space, I, I essentially do account management for a large automotive company. A lot of my job prior to COVID was traveling, seeing the customers, doing the relationship thing that you do in a sales role. Um, and when COVID came and we can't do that anymore, well, there's, there's a gap in space, you know. So we, don't get me wrong. There's busy weeks with a full-time job and there's, busy, there's some weeks that aren't just because of the, the type of workload it is. And it gave me the opportunity to, um, you know, being at home spool up the sonar pros business get a you know a big shop to do installs out of and, and spool up our harness production and things like that and it's uh it's interesting I mean, I've, I've got a friend that that um is running a you know he works in a sales role but he runs a full-blown contracting company uh where they're building like 12 spec homes every six months i mean it's wow. it's, it's crazy to see you know I, I that's just one example but i would say there's a lot of small businesses that took opportunities during the COVID impact and obviously when COVID came, there ended up being a big spike in, you know, retail sales. I mean, obviously everything's at all time high right now. It's, 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 it's very interesting to see what's going to come out of all this. I would, I would say. Yeah, no doubt. And, and like your friend uh, with the full contracting business, I mean, you're seeing so much of that too. Like I've got a lot of friends right now that full-time engineers and all this. And, and once they went from being at home for three days a week and now they kind of still go back to the office. But like, I mean, just the ideas of, Hey, look, let's, let's look at houses to fix and flip. Let's look at an investment. Yep. Some of that, some of those, I think those gears kind of turn for people when they have um, a different work environment. Um, so I don't know. I, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like in my entire life, I've always had, I guess you would call side hustles. I mean, in college mm -hmm. I was parting out, I was buying wrecked Subaru STIs and parting them out um, and selling them all across the place. I mean, I used to, where I got my knowledge in DC voltage, I used to run my own audio installation company in high school and That's college. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I've, I've always kind of lived in a space of, of doing something on the side. Sonar pros uh, grew a lot more than I ever expected it to. I mean, I, I used to run it out of this little garage um, just uh doing an install a month type deal and it just waterfall effect from there. So that's awesome. Well, and, and I guess we should do an overlay, especially with the new platform, uh, give people a rundown on what sonar pros is. Yeah. So in a nutshell, um, sonar pros pretty much specializes in three things. Number one, uh, we specialize in installation of the electronics products and primarily our focus is bass boats, but I mean, I've done, big Freemans down in, in Miami. I mean, I've, I've done every type of boat, but we specialize in the electronics installation in the bass environment. Uh, number two, we specialize in a dedicated wiring harness that we manufacture in-house. We designed and manufacture in-house. And then number three, we do on the water sonar classes um, where we take, you know, we go out in your boat, we teach you how to use electronics you have, fine tune them and so on and so forth. And then I guess really a fourth avenue would be the sales side of things. I mean, we're a dealer now for all the major brands being Garmin, Hummingbird, and Lowrance. So not only do we install, but we also sell the product as well. 
Sure. And uh, I saw on your Instagram, man, you got some very hard to find right now. Some helixes. <laughs> some helixes. Yeah. <laughs> I had I had 13 uh, show up yesterday. Um, and, and actually this morning we launched our new website. So kind of uh, the, the big focus of the business since you and I last talked, talked was yeah. um, refining harness production. So number one, figuring out um, how can we uptick pr- uh, production from, you know, X number to um, to let's say originally we were doing 15 a week to now we do 50 to 60 a week. Wow. Um, and then from there, um, refining our installation processes and, and, and bringing people on and training them in our processes because we do do things different than what your traditional installing dealer does. And what just happened this week was um, we finally just launched our new retail site. It's a really nice Shopify website. If, you, if anyone's shopped on Shopify websites, they're mm-hmm. literally one of the best web-based yes. platforms for retail yeah. applications. Um, so now I guess you could say dot three of the business model is push is, is going to start expanding into the retail online sales of the products and all that good stuff. So. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. and it sounds like uh, your mind's working in a way of efficiency, right? Like you're saying, hey, yep. how can we make this uh, this process faster and this better? And in all those ways, like um, having a high quality website helps all that. Having 100%. your guys have an install down exactly the way you want to do it, that all uh, makes it more efficient. So um, glad to hear that side. I'm curious too, your, your role has changed from like, right? I mean, how most businesses start a one man show, like you're doing everything. Like, here we go. Here's what I need to do all this and that. How has it been kind of passing off some of those responsibilities as you grow this thing to have employees and that kind of a situation? It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I had this conversation with a friend right now that's growing his uh, business. Um, actually it's a uh, extreme lures creations. My buddy Rob paints some awesome baits. He just came out with his own swim bait and he and I've been having this conversation a lot, which is, how do you pass on what you are passionate and knowledgeable about to someone else? And what the hardest thing is knowing that more than likely, if you train someone on how to build what you know how to build or install what you know how to install, that they're not going to do it to the umpteenth degree that you know how to do it. And you have to be okay with having a little bit of variance. So what, what kind of transpired when COVID hit um, was, you know, growing the business. Number one, I brought in, we, we hired in some individuals. Number one focus was teaching how to build harnesses. That was probably my biggest pressure point in the business. When I initially started, I was building the harnesses. I was rigging all the boats. You know, I was the one printing all the labels for the packages. I mean, I was doing literally everything. Wow. And, and number one, training someone how to build the harnesses because they're not, you know, they're not the easiest things in the world to build because um, don't get me wrong. You know, if you want to wire up your own boat, you can wire it up yourself. I mean, there's, I tell everyone that when they ask us, you know, what's the difference between your harness and and me wiring my boat myself? And I just say, hey, it's a clean package that's easy to pull through the boat, um, provides proper power, has really nice waterproof fuse assembly, so on and so forth. Um, but our harness, we normally have a, a total harness takes about two to two and a half hours to build just one harness. Wow. So step one was how do I teach individuals how to build the harness? And that was the biggest that was the hardest thing I had to let go of was the, the passion I have in building those harnesses and making sure every intricate heat shrink is heated the right way to where the logo doesn't stretch to where the fuse assembly is the right length. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Building that part of the business was step one. The number two was teaching individuals on the install because I realized I had to move away from being tied up in a boat all the time. I mean, I've got to be able to answer phone calls. I've got to be able to talk to our dealers that buy our harnesses for their installs and stuff like that. So 
it's kind of been a slow process over about two years, you know, step one, getting guys on harnesses, then installs, and then just kind of transpired from there. But it's been, I thoroughly enjoyed trying to figure out how to grow the business and make it better and more efficient and still, and still have that quality aspect. Cause that's what we specialize in. We specialize in quality installs, quality harness. And I don't want to, that to ever change what, as the yeah. business goes on. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that that's a, a, a big struggle for a lot of small business owners. Um, you get to a point where, Hey, uh, I, I need people to help me and I need people to do what I'm doing, but are they going to do it the same way I'm doing things? And I think so many guys get so caught up on that. And it's, it's like a, in my opinion, um, I've seen it in both situations where it has hurt a guy and helped a guy. And I've, I've definitely seen situations where someone is not willing to let go and they will never be able to expand because of that. Like that's what the difference between growing and, and trying to do as much in house and you drive yourself kind of crazy, literally doing everything. hundred percent. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have to give credit. My, my good friend, Alex, who owns ALX rods, which I believe you did. Yeah. We did a podcast, man. Great guy. So Alex, Alex has been a great asset as I've grown this business, been a good friend of mine for many years. Um, and that was one of the first things I, when I was growing the business, which was letting go of certain responsibilities that I had that I took pride in and letting someone else do it and, and realizing too, you know, they're not going to build the exact product that I build. It's still going to pass QC. It's still going to be a quality product, but there's going to be little intricate differences that just because I've trained that person on how to do it, they have a different eye. They have a different, you know, way they look at things that's going to have a little bit of differences and just being able to let go of that, was the hardest thing in the world. But now it's, it's, it's awesome though to come into the shop and see, you know, guys grabbing order forms, building harnesses, packaging them up. Like it's, it's, it's awesome to see the the machine work the way it is now from where it started. Cause I mean, I, I joke, the first guy I hired, his name's Hayden. Um, he's, he's a, he's a great kid. He, I hired him when he was in high school, he's in college now. And he's, he's, it's really cool to see him develop. I mean, when yeah. we started building the harnesses, we had, paint we had tape markers on the floor with how long they had to be cut now we've got machines that cut the wire for us and strip the end of it and all that stuff and it's it's wow. it's crazy to see where things have evolved and also too like i said just the, the aspect of letting go and and just just trying to figure out from a business perspective how you how you pass on responsibility so that you can focus on other things so very cool very cool, man. Yeah. Well, it's it's cool. Uh, uh, something that I didn't expect with this podcast, and and uh, you're one of the the few guys that I've I've seen is someone that I had on over over a certain time period. It's been really cool to see these businesses grow, and that is something yeah. I didn't really think about with this podcast. And it's like if you continue having these guys on and these relationships, it's like man, you're going to see these guys expand their business, and that's just uh, that's what it's all about. For it's me. cool. So I mean, it's. It's grown way faster than I ever expected it to. I mean, it's and and I I, I try not to knock the traditional boat dealer because they have everyone has their place in this industry. And I I love this industry passionately and I I want everyone to have be successful. But the unfortunate thing is what happens a lot is, you know, say you got an individual buys a brand new boat from X dealer. And a lot of times what's happening is the dealership's goal is to get the boat out as quick as possible because they have a a backlog as, as well. And a lot of times the guys in the back of the shop have the best intentions. They're very knowledgeable. They know what they're doing, but a lot of times they don't use the product. And there's little, there's little differences with an install based on if you are a person that puts a lot of hours in the water, you know that a cable, you know, coming out of a mount needs to go this direction because the trolling motor pulls up this way. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that to bind little intricates like that is what we try to specialize in just because 
Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a passionate angler myself. I put a lot of time on the water and I've just, I use, I mean, we use all three brands on my personal boat and I just try to apply that to the installs as we take an approach. And it's, it's interesting just because like I said, it, or it's, it's an unfortunate cause we get brand new boats from dealers that are, you know, eight weeks old and the customer's like, none of my stuff works and we have oh, to go through and retool everything. But hurts. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's, it's crazy to see the business, the way it grows. Cause like I said, we, um, you know, outside the harness growth, we specialize in the installs. And I've, I've, I mean, since you and I talked, I've had people ship me boats from California, New York, um, middle of the country. I mean, we got people buying our harnesses in Australia and South America. And it's just, it's crazy to see just the, the, the brand exposure we've gotten um, over the past couple of years with that. So. Very cool. That's, that's awesome, man. And uh, just to, I think that that's where that passion really comes in is, is a, when you see that machine, like you said, everyone working, everyone's doing stuff. And then the other side is seeing that expansion and that growth uh, going everywhere. It's like, where's this order from out of the country? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. so cool. It's crazy. I mean, also too, what's been really cool to, you know, I'm a, I'm a tournament nerd. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I followed bass fishing since I was a kid and we've been able to work with a lot of, of, um, of, of pros in the industry. I mean, we, we rig, I don't know, I would say probably 30% of the elite series field at this point now, maybe more, um, and, and working guys like working with guys like Chris Aldane, Brandon Polnick, Patrick Walters, mm-hmm. Austin Felix, Drew Cook, Drew Benton, uh, Buddy Gross. I mean, we've been able to work with a lot of guys to not only fine tune their electronics, but also build relationships. It's been a, it's been a pretty cool opportunity. That is cool. And going back to your exposure, like you're talking about some of the greats right there, like with massive yeah. followings and they're just, they, they want the best and that's what uh, people are going to grasp to. Yeah. It's been uh, Patrick Walters is one of my good buddies, but we also, um, I also sponsor him and it's mm-hmm. been really cool over the past two years to not only fine tune his setup running all three brands, but also see him obviously excel. I mean, he, uh, he, I guess you could say he took my money plenty of times in college. He was very successful in college and we all knew he, there's, I, I'll say this, there's been two guys that I fished against in college that we all said, He's yeah, they're going to go pro and do fine. And that was Jordan Lee and Patrick Walters. And they've, they've definitely proved that. For sure. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Yeah. <laughs> and well, let's, uh, let's get into a little bit. Um, your first classic booth at the classic this year. I unfortunately was not in attendance, but I want to hear how it went for you, man. Yeah, it was, um, I, uh, that was our first, I mean, I've, I've worked, I guess, long story short, the past, I don't know, six, seven years. I've always worked a classic with sponsors um, mm-hmm. for tournament fishing. Um, Alex with ALX Rods, for example, I've always worked his booth. Um, I also, every year when we have a classic, all the all my good close buddies from college fishing, we get a lake house at the lake that the classic's at and have a good old time. So the classic's always been a, a fun uh, adventure for That's me. A but great this idea. Wow. Yeah, I it's, it's doing that. highly recommended. We're excited. For example, <laughs> when we, when the classic was at, um, uh, Knoxville at the Tennessee river. Uh-huh. We rented a big, uh, 120 foot houseboat and put us all in there. No on the river. Way. Oh yeah. It was a great time. <laughs> yeah, high, highly recommend it. Um, but this was the first classic I have ever been to as a, uh, business owner having a booth. And mm-hmm. it was definitely a learning experience. Um, sure. it, it went really well. I mean, um, you know, from a business side of things, we ended up becoming we were net profitable for the weekend at the classic. I didn't by no means that I make a killing, but we and were net profitable, which sold product. That's a plus. Yeah, which I was, I was not expecting because um, the week before the classic, I was at the NPFL event. 
Um, we had installs the week of the classic, um, and we had orders to get out. So number one, going into the classic, I did not have the amount of product pre-built for the show that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also, I guess what I would call little knickknack products like, uh, fish upset, fish obsessed perspective mounts, our cable management kit. Uh, the, uh, we have a little neoprene sleeve that goes over your trolling motor cable that you see a lot of brands have now. Yep. Those little things, I only brought a handful of them. And like the first day, I pretty much sold out of 50% of what I brought in the wow. first day. Yeah. And realized pretty quickly, you know, from a business aspect that if I had more product and had more items there, because there's there was a lot of people that wanted product now and then. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we would do the thing, hey, you know, we don't have it here, but we can order it now and it'll ship Monday. But, you know, I learned pretty quickly that number one, there is a large value just to talking to people at those type of shows. You know, um, I kind of knew that going into it from what I had worked before with sponsors, but just the amount of people talking, you know, Hey, do you know about sonar pros? Okay. You don't uh, let's walk you. You know, we had little demo examples of our harness and just interacting with individuals, whether they knew about our business or not was a value in itself. And then also learning to just the simple aspect of the product I probably should have brought to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, was a, was definitely a missed opportunity. I mean, we, we brought a good bit, but nowhere near what I should have brought. And then I'd say the third thing that was was really um, eye-opening was just the amount of other businesses that would come up and talk to you. You know, um, lithium companies come and talk to us. Mount companies come up and talk to us. We had a couple boat brands that, that, that came up and talked to us. I mean, it was it was really good to just, just you know, um, network. network in the industry. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I think uh, that's a, a part of the classic uh, that maybe people miss out a little bit on. Um, if you're just walking around with your buddies, looking through booths, it's like, this is a place to, to network, especially business to business relationships. Yep. And, um, man, I think that that is some awesome value to folks listening to the show, have a decent amount of, uh, business owners or people starting businesses in the fishing industry that listen to the show. I mean, that is like a big, big point of this too, is don't make some of the same mistakes. Not saying they're giant mistakes you made, but not bringing enough product. It's like, Hey, there's people here wanting to buy stuff. If I'm going to go to the classic and I'm going to bring my business, I better have some product. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Like I was talking to Alex with ALX rods. I mean, they had a killer classic and, and Mm -hmm. you know, what he and I realized was the looking back on it, you know, the year before the classic was over in Texas. Yep. I heard that I, I wasn't there. That was the, actually the first classic I haven't gone to in like six years Damn. or seven years. Um, I heard that the the expo wasn't that great. There was like buildings that were spread out. Yeah, I, I just heard it was an odd layout. The, the attendance wasn't what it should have been. And um, so the way we looked at it, looking back on it, was this was the first cl- the first real classic expo since COVID hit. It's probably the best way. That's to a good it, point. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it was amazing. I mean, they had record attendance. I think it was like 154,000 people. But it was amazing. Normally, Friday is a slow day for the show. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I got lunch till like 4 o'clock. And even then, I had to get one of my guys. I was like, hey, I got to teach you how to use this payment processing thing. So when I'm gone to get just get us a couple, you know, pizzas or whatever, uh, you can do this. I mean, it was it was, it was a crazy classic, but yeah, I would, I would definitely say, you know, if, if there's any new bit, you know, any business owners that haven't done a classic, I mean, I, I would highly recommend it. Um, another thing I learned too was booth layouts really important. Um, we, you know, our booth was positioned well near the food area, but there was, uh, for example, Vex's boats had a really big back banner that blocked a lot of the booths behind it and we were behind it. So, if you weren't a typical, just natural customer walking down the main lane and turn left, 
you were going to miss us. And there was a lot of good companies that were over by my area that that had the same feeling. But again, um, all the learning opportunity, I mean, it was still a great classic. I mean, regardless of the, the back banner thing, but sure. um, it uh, it was definitely a, a, a learning opportunity. I mean, we're going to I'm planning to go to another classic with a Knoxville one's not too far from me. So we're trying to go to that. Nice. Um, but just little little things like how you lay your booth out. I mean, I spent like four hours trying to figure out where I wanted a table to sit. I mean, it was it was just a lot of stuff I didn't think about beforehand. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's something you don't really think about until you're like, okay, wait, if I was a customer looking, how would I want things to look like? So yeah, exactly. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about your fishing. Oh, one sec. There we go. I lost you there for a second. But anyways, let's talk a little bit about your fishing for 2022 your plans yep. as an angler and kind of how that has evolved in all of this like you said you've got a lot of a lot of plates to juggle right now where does that kind of stand and what are you doing yeah i um so since you and i last talked i i mean up until this year i've fished pretty i've pretty much done the local scene bfls and toyotas every year right. since college i fished toyotas I've been fortunate in the past couple of years, won a BFL, had a top 10 at the Toyota championship, um, yeah. had, I think, two or three other top 10s in Toyotas. I mean, it's, I've, I've been a, been fortunate to have some a couple of good years. Um, I, I, at the end of last year, I was approached about fishing the MPFL. Um, I really liked what they were essentially trying to do, which is, you know, um, I, I hate to use the term professional it's technically a professional league the reason i say i hate to use the term professional is um i don't consider myself a professional angler um Mm i uh i I respect the guys that are professional anglers but um when it comes to the npfl i look at it as as two things one um it is a great circuit that goes to great lakes with a really 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 um adjustable schedule and what i mean by that is if you are a business owner or you work for a corporation that has pto uh, for the most part, you can probably fish the MPFL schedule. It's six events. Um, they're typically four to six weeks apart, um, mm-hmm. so they're not backed up on top of each other. Um, obviously, in a work-from-home environment, the nice thing is a lot of the tournaments have an off day before the tournament starts, so you can get caught up on emails, uh, stuff like that. Um, so that was one thing that was really appealing when they approached me. And then number two, um, it's a tournament organization. Yes, the entry fees are much higher compared to a um, Toyota or sure. a BFL, but if you cut a check – it is a lot easier to be profitable, especially with sponsor support. So that was the other appealing thing outside of a schedule and other things like that. So um, I kind of lean towards towards fishing the MPFL mainly because if, if um, you're a consistent angler that stays in the top 50%, you're going to get paid. Um, mm-hmm. The checks um, are a lot healthier on this side compared to, say, a Toyota or a BFL. I mean, oh, yeah. there's there's no secret. You know, BFL, you're not going to make money unless you win events. A Toyota, you're not going to win money unless you win events. I mean, I, I remember I remember I had a top 10 at Lake Hartwell on a Toyota, and I think I finished eighth place. Um, and I think the check I got was like six grand. And I think my total costs for the week were like seven grand. Um, after entry fee and everything else. And it was just like, okay, cool. I had a top 10, but this didn't, didn't do anything for me. Uh, so yeah. so to, to, to fish a league that where if you cut a check um, or you're a consistent angler, um, you can make it somewhat profitable. That's what I had an interest in. And also I'm, I just like fishing competitive tournaments that are multi-day events, which was a big mm-hmm. thing why I, I went towards the MPFL route this year. I like it, dude. Yeah. I think uh, the biggest thing for me, so basically this last year, um, 2021, I went independent contractor, 
uh, work-wise and was able to take time and fish tournaments. And, uh, mm-hmm. but then you run into, it's like, Hey, I still have all these responsibilities, all these clients work-wise. Yeah. And I struggled for sure with the back to back to back. And I think having that spread out is really attractive to me and the off day in between, if you're in a work from home environment where you need to catch up on something, you don't feel pressured. Like when you have to find your own fish and you're fishing, uh, where you're throwing a lot of money on the line, whether it's a Toyota series or the NPFL or anything where you've got thousands into an entry fee, uh, you, you don't want to take time off. You don't want to be thinking about a business back home or deal. And that's some of that. Everyone has to deal with that aspect of it, but you want to be clear headed. You want to be worried about the fishing and what's going on. And, uh, I think having a spread out schedule like that, uh, really helps in that situation. Oh, hundred percent. And I'll say too, like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like bash MLF saying this, but yeah, a big reason why I decided to fish it this year was I was originally signed up for the Eastern Toyotas again, which go to Gunners this year, last year, they went to Gunnersville, Dale hollow and chick. And then this mm-hmm. year they're doing the same schedule. Um, I, uh, I wanted kind of redemption because last year, the first day Toyota and Gunnersville, I was in third day two. Mm-hmm. I had the, I had the fish hooked up to be in second or third again, but story in and of itself. Um, but the reason, the biggest push I had, and again, this is not a knock to MLF, but yeah. the biggest push I had as to why I ended up making the decision to sign with the MPFL was they opened the field up to 300 something anglers on Lake Gunnersville for the first Toyota. And, and, you know, I get it from a business standpoint, you know, Hey, if the, if the customer base is there to open the field by all means, but from a tournament and a health of a fishery aspect, having 300 something tournament boats just is not good for anyone. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is just a tough deal. And the nice thing about the MPFL is, um, you know, number one, as an organization, they're invested in their anglers. They really do a great job of reaching out, um, scheduling time with their media team to do interviews, to do photo shoots, to make sure everyone gets good, broad exposure. Uh, and the number two, it's a cap field. You know, we got 120 something guys. Um, we're not dealing with the local crowd that you deal with, you know, fishing BFLs and, and Toyotas where, um, you know, you hop in a, uh, you know, a BFL at Gunner or a Toyota at Gunnersville and half the field is guys who live within 10 miles of the lake. 100%. That was, that was what was really appealing at, about the MPFL, not only with the schedule and, and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, we talked a little bit off air about the first event, which was just crazy weather conditions, everything yeah. there. We can, I know it was a little bit of a sore subject with some of some guys, but be happy to uh, talk a little bit about that. And then I also want to hear how you're preparing uh, for this next one. Hardwell. Yeah. Um, so if, if, if anyone follows the MPFL, you'll probably see what you probably saw what had happened. So we were at Lake Cumberland. I love Cumberland. The last time I was at Cumberland, I had a top 10 at the Toyota Series Championship back in uh, 2000. I think it was 20 or 2020. It was 2020. Um, so I was really looking forward to going to that lake. Um, if anyone's been to Cumberland around uh, January, February, March, you know the lake is notorious for coming up uh, in water elevation really quickly. I mean, uh, the lake has has a nickname for Lake Cumberland Widowmakers because there's so much timber on the lake that that gets flooded up when the lake comes up. So we had we had a pretty interesting practice. Um, don't exactly quote me on the weather, but if I remember correctly, the first day it was it was pretty cold. I mean, 40, 40 ish degree. I think the second day we had like almost 60 degree weather. I remember being in like a T-shirt in bibs like it was really nice. Yeah. Third day of practice, we had a big cold front, bunch of rain. 
And then we had our off day. And then come tournament day, um, we all get in the water uh, or about half the field. And it's not ideal conditions where it's, uh, I think it was like 36 degrees, 37 degrees. We were supposed to get down to freezing temps at some point throughout the day. The lake had come up almost six feet in 24 hours at that point in time. Um, there was floaters on the lake and it was just not ideal conditions from a visibility perspective, you know, floaters in the lake and then also freezing temps. So the organization made a decision to cancel day one and day two, because day two, there was a weather prediction that was showing some pretty high winds and a few other things. Mm. We ended up not having that wind. I mean, that's just how weather is. You, you'll get a prediction right. one day and it's different the next day. So we canceled the first two days and turned it to a single day tournament. Um, I think looking back on it at the time, a lot of us were pretty frustrated because, you know, we didn't sign up for a single day tournament. And for anyone and for anyone that knows that the NPFL is everyone fishes all three days, there's no cuts, um, which is one thing I really like about the, or, the, the layout. But mm-hmm. at, in the moment, we were frustrated looking back on it. Um, I think the organization made a good decision because um, we're just looking out for angler safety. Last thing you want to have happen is someone get hurt. I mean, I was. I was in the Toyota event or the back then it was Costa event when the guy uh, unfortunately lost his life down at Okeechobee. So, um, you know, I think as an organization, they made a good call canceling that event. So uh, for the viewers, um, our three day tournament turned into a single day tournament. And by the time we actually had the tournament, the lake, and again, don't quote me on this, but I think we were anywhere from 12 to 16 feet up from the last day we had seen the lake. Oh my gosh. And, um, I'll be transparent. I don't have a lot of experience in those type of conditions. Like yeah. you and I were talking off air the year before I had fished a Toyota on Dale hollow and we had almost mirrored con- conditions and it was, I could not locate the fish. I caught one fish per day for two days and finished middle of the field with two fish. But, um, and the, um, in this MPFL event, it was kind of the same deal. I, uh, I started the morning running a smallmouth pattern that I had found when I was in the Toyota championship. Worst part is the fish were still there, but when I was there for the Toyota championship, we had a 15 inch variance um, for anyone who hasn't fished Cumberland, a smallmouth keepers, 18 inches. Um, so when I was there for the Toyota championship, we had a 15 inch variance. Unfortunately for this event, a recent biology study by the lake biologist determined that they did, were not going to give any more variances for at least a two or three year period. Really? So, yeah, wow. so we had we are 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 the MPFL's application got rejected by the biologist because of some study they had about the health of the fishery. So hmm. uh, for our tournament, a largemouth had to be 15 inches, a spot had to be 12, and a and a smallmouth had to be 18. Well, th- that Put morning that I started. <laughs> when it's that tough? Put me on a spot pattern, baby. Let's go. 12, 13 inch spots. I looked, I looked for spots for three days. I live on Lake for, for your viewers. I live on Lake Lanier spots uh-huh. or what I enjoy to catch. Yeah. I couldn't figure out how to catch spots at Cumberland when I was oh, there. Man. So I could figure out I, in practice, I figured out two things. I had a smallmouth pattern. Okay. That was very consistent. What I had done at the Toyota championship, essentially cranking isolated boulders that had slid down the bank. Oh, cool. Um, and tournament day, I caught about 14 pounds worth of smallmouth. I couldn't weigh. I had a, I had a 402 that was 17 and a quarter inches long. I had to throw oh back. Oh, my gosh. A 4-pound yeah. smallmouth, dude. Yeah. That would break so my I, heart. Oh. oh, it was – I sat there for a minute, like, holding it. I was like, no way I'm about to let this go. <laughs> There's like, no way you're this big, but not yeah, long enough. <laughs> it was it was horrible. And uh, so I spent about three hours um, doing that. And um, 
make a long story short, we had a, a changed in how we we had a changed in process with how we did blast off. There was three ramps we could pick from based on just looking out for angler safety with floaters in the lake. So right. I essentially had six and a half hours to fish. So mm-hmm. I spent about three hours just somewhat kept consistently catching smallmouth. And it was probably me being a little stubborn fishing history. Um, and I was ho- fish, it's hard to leave it, especially because it, in any other situation, they're keepers. And, and I'm a stubborn fisherman. I'll sit on fit. I'll, I'll keep catching fish till I figure out what needs to be done. And mm-hmm. unfortunately I wasted about three hours doing that. Then I went shallow, caught a two ten um, on a chatterbait. And then I went and found some, essentially I was looking for warm water run-ins Okay. Uh, a lot of the warm water run-ins that I had found it, I, my last day of practice for context, I had a really good practice. I had about 16, 17 pounds of uh, large mouth, not really trying to catch any. Wow. Um, and a lot of the warm water run-ins that I had found three days prior now turned into cold water run-ins. So I spent a lot of time looking for more warm water, finally found warm water, caught a 210. And then I had about a four to five pounder hooked up on a spinner bait that got essentially there was a bush. I flipped up by that bush. She smoked the spinnerbait, ran over, got hung up in a tree that was under the water. And uh, she came unbuttoned when she got pinned to that tree. Yeah. Um, and then I had to, unfortunately, had to weigh in just one fish and and, and finished middle of the pack um, yeah. with one fish, which like you and I talked offline. I, I, I was very happy to just have one fish from a points perspective going into the rest of the season. So, yeah, there's a big difference between finishing middle of the pack and absolutely bottom of the pack. Points. Yeah. And like you and I were talking, like I said earlier, um, for anyone who didn't look at the weights, I mean, it took four something pounds to get a check. I mean, there was only eight or 10 limits weighed in. Um, it was, it was tough on a lot of people. I mean, uh, Taylor who won the tournament, he absolutely crushed him with like 23 pounds. Yeah. Um, uh, which was really cool to see him weighing that much weight. And then also I think later on he put the video up and he was just having a good old time with a spinner bait, which I was pretty jealous about, but <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> That's how vision goes. Oh, 100%. Uh, dang, man. So when you were finding in practice these these warm water run-ins, were you just, uh, I mean, map studying, looking to see where water was coming in, and then going to that area and checking your temperature? Um. So I so Cumberland's in, a very interesting. Like if you haven't fished it before, I knew I, I had a suspicion we were going to. I mean, if you can actually look at, they have graphs of the water level for the past five years. Um, it was almost to a T the same spike every year, oh, almost like coming. to the same week. Like, yeah. So I, the water level is so unpredictable on Cumberland that almost maps up, like looking at, you know, getting Google, going in Google Earth Pro and looking for rock piles or whatever else is almost a waste of time because you don't, you just don't know what the water level is going to be. So mm. um, I already knew a, a, an area of the lake I wanted to be in, uh, which was the lower end the three main Creek arms down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the approach I took in, in practice, which was um, day one, I wanted to focus on the smallmouth pattern I had found in, historically on the Toyota championship. And those fish were there. Uh, my first day of practice, I had, I had a really, uh, I pulled in my smallmouth area. I caught two, four pound smallmouth that were keeper fish, caught a three pound smallmouth that was a keeper fish. And I said, all right, this is all here. Second day of turn, second day of practice, I actually did not catch a single fish the second day of practice or keeper fish. I caught a couple shorts. And then day three, we started getting the rain and I just happened to get into a creek. And I think the mouth, I think the mouth of the creek was 43 okay. and the back of the creek was 57. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, fish are going to migrate to warm water. Like that's somewhat common sense from really a bass fishing either. perspective. Yeah. yeah. So 
um, started running that and really quickly just running a spinnerbait and a chatterbait, uh, start around some, some flooded wood, um, uh, started catching some fish pretty quickly. And, um, my good buddy, Justin Kimmel, he and I are, um, you know, uh, this year, Justin and Patrick Walters and I are all traveling together and, and Justin and Patrick and I are awesome. kind of working together. Yeah. Um, unfortunately the first event, Patrick couldn't fish because it overlapped with the classic. Did he really drive all the way there? Uh, yeah, I can tell that story because it was hilarious. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so, dude. so we, uh, Patrick, uh, I don't remember the exact days, but anyways, Patrick was leaving from Florida from the elite event. And so throughout the ride, he and I are calling each other, driving up the road because you're driving the truck by yourself and it's either listen to music or talk to your buddy. And so literally like six times throughout the day, we're on hour long phone calls, just, you know, shooting the shit, talking about whatever. Yeah. And we ended up getting like an hour from the lake house we rented and he and I stopped at a gas station. And that was when gas was starting to creep up. I remember diesel, he and I both drive diesel, diesel trucks. I remember diesel was like 480 up there. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so he and I are sitting at this gas station filling up and we get to the house and he literally pulls in the driveway and he goes, dude, you know, I just realized I said, what? He goes, my classic practice starts on Thursday or Friday. I was like, oh, that's a problem. He's like, I'm probably going to have to leave. So that night he cooked Justin and I a really nice beef brisket. <laughs> and uh, next morning he hit the road and left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that is wild, dude. Yeah. Just so yeah. zoned in. And uh, I mean, being a pro angler that he is, he's just like, all right, next derby, next derby, next derby. And he's like, wait a oh, second. 100%. Well, I mean, a different practice schedule than every other elite event. Yeah. To his defense, when the MPFL schedule first came out, mm-hmm. Cumberland was at a different date. Oh. So they rescheduled it. And I guess he just didn't check that piece of when it was rescheduled but yeah it was i mean it was nice to hang out with him for a night but it was he drove he essentially drove 10 hours in the wrong direction oh so, man it drove back but yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh but he's gonna yeah. finish the the rest of them then he is yeah he's gonna be, yeah okay yeah he's gonna be fishing the rest of them um i mean we've pretty much got all our houses booked up for the rest of the series or the the season um with justin and, and, and patrick and i but you know like i said first event was tough but it um as, as you and i discussed earlier i i'm 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 totally okay with how the event went i am just a passionate tournament angler i'm fortunate to have sponsors that do support me to make fishing the mpfl an actual possibility um and um you know that first event wasn't what i wanted got good points and we're just going to carry it on to the next event from here so no doubt no doubt um well let's go into that i mean we're looking at hartwell at the end middle end of april right yeah, I think it's the second or third week of April. Um, Hartwell, um, I live on Lake Lanier, so spotted bass herring fishery. Hartwell is kind of my number two lake. I've won a BFL there. I've had several top tens in, in uh, not only BFLs and super. Uh, hour and a half, if that. Oh, wow, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I live on the west. I live on the west side of uh, Lake um, Lanier in Cumming, Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's like an hour and a half drive to the south end in Hartwell. It's not far at all. Um, so I am looking forward to going to Hartwell. It's not necessarily my favorite time of year to fish because we're probably when we're, when we are there a month from now, we're going to be dealing with fish in all three stages. So we'll have pre-spawn, post-spawn and spawning fish. Um, we'll have a herring spawn going on, um, as well, more than likely. So, um, it's not necessarily my favorite time of the year to fish, um, but it's, uh, it's still a very familiar fishery to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that aspect. No doubt. No doubt. That's an exciting time. I mean, you're looking at, um, I mean, I guess if it 
I mean, junk fisher fisherman's paradise. I mean, you're looking at the, the ability to catch fish off a bed and then keep going down the bank and then dealing with some post spawn stuff. And if there's a, a, and I've never fished a herring spawn by any means. I mean, I fished a lot of shad spawns, but is it, is it kind of a similar sense in that it's a morning deal? Um, yeah, I would say as far as, as timing and, and, and orientation of, of where the herring spawn is similar to a shad in a way, um, the biggest difference is just bait presentation. I mean, in a herring spawn, um, a lot of times fishing faster is your friend, um, you know, reeling up, uh, a, a swim bait through them or, or a mini me spinner bait or a jerk bait as fast as you possibly can is, is typically the trigger action compared to, you know, a shad spawn. You're typically doing, you can do a swim jig or a, you know, a spinner bait or a slow mm-hmm. retrieve jerk bait, anything of that sort. But, um, it's, it's very similar, but also just, it's just the bait presentation is, is probably the biggest difference. Heron being a quick deal. Yeah. You always yeah. see guys, anytime there's a, there's a derby with the, with a herring situation, man, it's just like, I mean, everyone's reeling so fast. I, I just want to fish that because I like fishing that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I always say this, like, like, like my, I would say my, I, I was talking to someone the other day about this. I do not like pre-spawn fishing. I will yeah. acknowledge that I am not a good pre-spawn fisherman, <laughs> uh, especially spawn fishing too. Like I am not, I mean, I can find the beds. I can find the big ones. I just always never seem to have the luck factor with fish staying on bed or, or whatever the, the, the sort. Yeah. Once fish go pre post spawn, that's what I like to do. Um, I, mm. I am very much an electronics fisherman, hence the company. Sure. Um, but like, like Lanier, um, we do a lot of brush pile fishing. We are, uh, it's a running gun lake. You know, you make one, two casts on the spot and go. Um, I think a lot of times that hurts me going to other fisheries sometimes just having been kind of indoctrinated with that technique of just running gun nonstop um, is good or bad sometimes. But, um, yeah. you know, Hartwell fish is almost identical to Lanier, um, just a little bit, a few more large mouth over at Hartwell compared to Lanier. So um, I, I'm hoping for that tournament we have some fish that spawned early because um, I'm pretty much going to be focusing on either the herring spawn feeders or some post, some early post spawn fish that have gotten out into the timber or the uh, the cane piles. Well, and uh, another uh, electronics guy um, who we just interviewed um, last week with John Suka. Man, same deal. He said the exact same thing. I hope that more fish are done and out because that's yep. going to into my strengths. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like I um I I just and again it's probably because of what's in my backyard, but just. I would much rather fish a a a hundred degree middle of day summer tournament pressured as I'll get up, uh, knowing the fish are there and just trying to figure out what they want to eat and mm. when they want to eat um, is what I what I really have always excelled at. I mean, in college we always had the the boat U.S. national championship on Pickwick. I mean, I had a lot of good finishes in that tournament. Um, any any my the the local scene majority of the tournaments I win over here in the summertime. So. Um, I just really hope we have some good post-spawn fish in that heart roll tournament because I'll be transparent if they're full-blown on bed. Um, I might get a check, but I'm not going to be in the hunt to, to win the thing. Um, it's, just, it's just not my strength at all. So I like it, man. I like the transparency. Um, yep. With the rest of the NPFL schedule, um, where are you most excited for? And have you been, uh, like you said, a lot of a lot of local presence here fishing the Toyota Series, fishing the – bfls in your region have you spent much time uh outside of that is that is that going to be a different thing for you um are you excited to travel and see some new places 
Yeah, so there's some new places on the schedule. I mean, I know you and I talked about it before. I mean, you and I both came through college fishing. So yeah. we're kind of in the unique experience where in college fishing, we got exposed to fishing outside of a localized region. So as far as um, the travel aspect, the going to different places, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that from just what I've done from college fishing to the Toyota and also Toyota series. Yeah, um, I would say... I would say a lake I'm looking forward to would be Watts Bar. Um, one of the guys that fished with me at Georgia Southern University, he's got a family lake house on Watts Bar. Um, we used to go there in college. I've got, I wouldn't say I've got a ton of experience on Watts Bar, but I fished it to kind of know what we probably are going to do when we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to Watts Bar. Um, where I do where I do not have experience uh, is the two northern fisheries we're going to, um, one of which is Saginaw Bay. Um, I... I have experience fishing up north. Um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but um, my family is originally, I grew up in Georgia, but my family's from uh, upstate New York. And, uh, wow, Illinois. I didn't know that. Very yeah, cool. so I, I grew up fishing. Um, the lake I actually learned to grow up, the lake I learned growing up fishing on was Champlain and then also <laughs> a small lake over in Wisconsin. So I have experience fishing up north. Um, I just don't have a lot of tournament experience up north. So um, that's where, um, you know, I'm excited to go up there because I do love fishing up north. I think uh, northern fisheries are, I mean, everyone talks about smallmouth and largemouth up there. It's, they're fantastic fisheries. Um, but, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of experience up there in a tournament organization. And then um, our last tournament is down at, um, I think, Kissimmee, I believe. I might be yeah. wrong on that. Yeah, Kissimmee. Um, Kissimmee, I fished a couple times in college. I've, I uh, I fished, a, um, I think, a Costa back when it was when they were the Costas down there. So um, I'm looking forward to that, especially it was it was kind of funny. Um, I heard some guys saying when we were at that first MPFL event, we wish we were down in Florida. Um, I hate doing Florida tournaments in January and February because there's always a massive cold front <laughs> and Florida fisheries cannot sustain cold fronts. Um, I'm excited that we are going down there in the fall um, because, yeah. number one, um, I've heard nothing but good things about fishing down there in the fall. And number two, we're not dealing with that that cold front weird pre-spawn element that's normally that. Again, back to my point, I suck at pre-spawn fishing, but um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to to fishing down in Florida at a time frame that I've, I've never fished Florida in October before. So I'm looking forward. Yeah, and I think just uh, uh, kudos to the NPFL. I think out of all the, uh, the pro circuits um, for this season, I am super impressed with their schedule because – there's a lot of differences. I mean, Saginaw Bay is going to be incredible to me. Uh, Watts Bar is not a place that gets hammered all the time from a yep. tour level deal. And then you're fishing Florida in a different time of year. And I just think uh, as a viewer, as a bass fishing absolute nerd of watching every live stream, all that stuff going on, you get kind of used to seeing the same stuff every year in Florida. Oh, here we go to Florida again, late January, yep. February, every single time. And um, so... No, it's exciting to see uh, the differences there. And I just think, too, um, an aspect I really hadn't thought about um, when you're weighing your options on, hey, what series should I fish this year? And you get by to the NPFL. It's like, you know, it's cool to go with an organization where you're going to go to places that are going to be fun to fish, that are new, that aren't the same old, same old. Yeah, it's like I said, I I really have been impressed with what they're pulling together so far as far as how the organization's been run, uh, what our schedule's looking like. And then also just, you know, we had the first, you know, when we were <clears throat> that first day when it got canceled, a lot of the, the boat ramp is, if you've ever been to Cumberland, it's literally the worst boat ramp ever for a large tournament. 
Um, that. Yeah. A lot of us were out there for like an hour and a half just shooting the breeze. So it was nice to, to meet a lot of guys there um, nice. and, and get to know some of those guys. So um, I, I, in general, I've just been really, really, really excited about fishing the MPFL just because of the, the atmosphere, the schedule, and just kind of everything else we've talked about. But, you know, you know, I could, I could have a horrible year the rest of the year. And like I mentioned, I, I don't have aspirations to fish professionally. If I, you know, get lucky and, and win one of these things, I'm not going to go quit. I'm not going to go shut down Sonar Pros and quit my day job and say, hey, we're going to take a whack at tournament fishing. That's just I, I acknowledge that I'm not that caliber of angler. And, and also at the same time, too, it's just, you know, it, that's a very tough way to make a living. I have enough. I've, I've been fortunate to have enough friends that are doing it to make a living and they're they're successful. I mean, Patrick's a good, good example, but sure. And behind the scenes, what a lot of people don't see, it is it is not an easy way to make a living at all, no. at all. No, very hard way. And, and that's a, uh, a trend that I have seen. Um, and really have, I think is, is a, a little bit of a personal thing to kind of spread some of that message. I don't want to take anyone's dream away by any means, yep. but as you kind of get into this industry and, um, talk to people and then also stay with guys fishing tournaments. And it's, uh, I've just, I've just seen the same aspect and have always, uh, viewed it very similar to the way that you're talking. And I like the idea of making a living in multiple different ways and things that I want to do. And also I will always be a tournament angler. I will always be fishing at a competitive level, but, um, that pro 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 top level to me, I, uh, I think people need to acknowledge, uh, like you said, where they're at as an angler and, um, really the, the reality as a realities of it, I think, uh, are something that need to be brought, brought to the surface. Sometimes. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, and it's just part of the way the sport is. I mean, it's, you know, I, we're never going to see, you know, you look at, you look at the PGA or, you know, NBA, NFL, everything else, they have massive viewerships and, you know, I love bass fishing. The classic had 154,000 people at the expo and viewing that thing, but that's chump change compared to what those major sports do. And and I think, um, unfortunately from a tournament organization perspective, you know, bass fishing is never going to be what the, the, the PGA is. So sure. I think what needs to be more transparent is, you know, guys that are successful in tournament fishing, it's not just about cutting checks. It's about being a brand that you can partner with, with other brands to bring broad exposure. And a lot of guys that are su- successful in tournament fishing also don't just rely on tournament fishing. They have jobs on the side. Oh, so yeah. on and so forth. And it's, Business you know, it's all kinds of stuff. It's interesting because, you know, when I and you and I were in college fishing around the same time, mm-hmm. you know, college fishing, when, when I got into college fishing, there was no high school fishing. And now to see where high school fishing is, where by us, we have local high school tournaments that are pulling two, 200 plus boats a tournament. And to Texas, see college fishing plus boats, man. Yeah. And yeah. seeing college fishing grow the way it is. I mean, there's a lot more exposure and, and adoption into tournament fishing. And it's just, you know, you think when you see these big names that they're just, you know, killing it, making a living tournament fishing, it's just not the case. And um, it's an, it's definitely, if you can make a career tournament fishing, it's an awesome way to make a career, but it's definitely by no means an easy way to make a career, which is, you know, I've had a lot of people asking me like, am I going to go full time with tournament fishing? And transparently, no, I have no, I have literally have no aspirations to try to fish for a living whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I, I appreciate the honesty there. And I think that's uh, it's a good message to spread with people. And again, not taking away from anyone's dream, just, just no. uh, need to need to look at things realistically. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's, it's, 
just the way it is, you know, but it's, you know, everything's changing. I mean, it, what's, what's crazy. I mean, compared to two years ago when you and I talked, just looking at the adoption of sonar is the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. I mean, we, I mean, on, on my, my boat, which you can see kind of behind me, you know, yeah. I, I'm running all three brands. I've got five graphs on my boat. I've got a Lawrence core system and then I've got a dedicated Garmin for live scope and a dedicated, uh, hummingbird Solix for 360. Um, it is, it is crazy to see how much this industry has changed in two years from an electronics perspective. I mean, the other day, um, I saw a video from Andy Morgan, um, yeah. saying, quoting his friend, quoting, um, uh, I heard this, I heard this. Uh, God, who was he quoting? Uh, I don't know who he's quoting, but he was quoting, I, I, but he said, if you're not scoping, you're hoping yep. if you're a guy that is a shallow water, absolute hammer saying that he's relying on live in a way relying on live scope is, is just a, is just testament to where this industry has moved towards. And that's, you know, from a business side of things, that's great for sonar pros because everyone wants, yeah. you know, like Lake Lanier, if you do not have live scope, you are, you are getting beat by it. Like it's just the way this fishery, it's the way this fishery is. I and mean, we're, we're primarily brush pile fishing 80% of the year. So if you don't have live scope, you're, you're hoping is as, yeah. as Annie Morgan said, but yeah, um, just to see, you know, like, for example, um, you know, Patrick Walters, he and I had started a partnership about two years ago um, that allowed him to be sponsored by Sonar Pros to run whatever brand he wanted to. And seeing anglers that are doing that. Yeah. Seeing anglers that are doing that and being successful, I think, is a testament to, you know, I don't think any of these brands make the perfect system. I think every brand has a specific um niche or, or, or benefit. Cause you know, I could talk for days about it, which forward sonar is the best, um, you know, which, who has the best mapping based on region you are. I mean, I, I did, I did a little video with the Bass U at the classic talking about nice. which phone, which phone forward sonar is right for you based on where you fish and how you fish. I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's just crazy the way all this has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know too, I mean, man, I like, seen little sneaky things on your Instagram. If you guys aren't following Sonar Pros, I mean, some of the installs you're doing on Pros Boats and stuff now, I mean, do you see any macro trends uh, right now that are that new horizon of like maybe two years ago, like you said, it was seeing guys uh, break away from that mold of running all the same brand on their boat and spreading stuff out. Do you see any trends now or what do you kind of expect in the future? Um, I'll give you a recent example that I'm really curious. I was texting him earlier today. Yeah. Um, but Taku, who fishes the Elite Series, um, his boat, we put three live scopes and a 360 and six graphs. So at the console, he had two Solux 12s and then a Garmin 8612. Um, so at the console, he had a live scope that was mounted to his jack plate shooting out to the right. And that's what I was um, referring to. I saw that on Instagram. I messaged you, man. I was like, okay, I got a nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the 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 well i'll say i'll finish talking about his setup so yeah, and then at, at no no you're good uh at the bow three graphs uh a solix 15 a garmin 86 16 and a garmin 86 12 oh my gosh so Jeez. at the bow he had a standalone um it was a japanese company that made it but there's a lot of com u.s companies making it but uh a, a turret system where it's a mount that mounts the trolling motor but it's an independent movement from the trolling motor for the right. forward sonar um then he had a live scope mounted to the trolling motor as well and then the 360 so i'd say the answer to your question as far as like what's a what's a trending movement it would be the 
multitude of live sonars. Um, I mean, for example, one of the, the other anglers I sponsor is Drew Cook. Um, the dude is a heck of a shallow water fisherman. Um, so the one thing we did with his boat this year was we did dual live scopes, one yeah. in perspective and one in forward. Mm. And um, I don't remember if it was the first or second elite event that he had a top 10 in. Um, a lot of the fish he was catching that were either pulling up or on bed were that he was he was actually seeing them on the perspective view. Um, which for your viewers, for your viewers, if you don't know what perspective view is, it's you have live scope that shoots in a traditional forward format and we're grabbing it and turning it sideways like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gives you a pie view um, versus the water column view of what's going on. So I I would say what's starting to come is, you know, two year or two ago, running multitude, a multitude of brands was kind of the new trend. And now what's starting to happen is a, a, a multiple forward sonar. So one for forward, one for down, one for perspective, one on an independent mount. So when you're spot locked, you can look around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the big trend going forward is just going to be how much, how much information can you view at one bow setup is, is kind of what's coming, coming next. Wow. So, wow. That's incredible, yeah. man. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause like side scan has always been a useful tool to find structure and, even here at home, I'm seeing guys that don't even crank their motor. They just put the troll motor down and look down the bank. And I think that's what we're going to start seeing a, a lot more is just a lot more uh, just available information, available information, refinement in the technology. I mean, Garmin has their new live scope transducer coming out. So it's, I mean, it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, no, I mean, just of a, a personal example. I mean, I've had live scope for two years now. And when I, I was definitely more of a shallow water guy and really honestly didn't have all that much faith in my electronics uh from yep. a especially at the helm perspective at the at the console and um it has taught me to i mean exactly like you said spend time with the trolling motor down go into a creek with the trolling motor down understand the creek the creek in its entirety with my with my live scope off the front now what i've done is i've taken it back the opposite way of saying okay now I understand. I have so much confidence in what I'm looking at on live scope that now when I look at my side scan and my down scan, like I can put it together and I still, I still feel way more confident <laughs> with live scope, but I also realize how much more efficient it is to go side scan an area for fresh files. And so yep. it's taught me kind of the opposite way. So I've definitely become a better deep fisherman from live scope and I'm working my way back to like traditional side scan, down scan stuff. It's it's interesting because I think a couple things we're going to see happen here soon. I think I've seen it on Lake Lanier. Um, yeah. The fish are definitely getting wise to the sonar noise. Mm-hmm. So I think we're eventually going to see a point where our offshore fish get pressured and shallow will make, you know, make some sub, somewhat of a comeback. Yep. But at the same time, too, what's interesting is live scope can hurt you just as or any forward sonar. I mean, there's Garmin live scope. Lawrence Active Target, and then now uh, Hummingbird Mega Live. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it's interesting because I think the the live sonar can almost hurt you as much as it helps you because what happens a lot of times here in Lanier is you'll be working up a point, and you'll look over to the left hand side and see that there's a group of two fish sitting over some timber, and you'll go chase them out and throw a Kitek at them, try to get them to bite. While well, all of a sudden, thirty minutes go by, and that's thirty minutes you could have done fishing another area with productive feeding fish. So it's interesting because to see anglers, you know, a lot of these professional anglers excel with forward sonar, you know, your Patrick Walters, as we mentioned earlier, they have refined 
refine the pattern of finding fish, but also making sure, okay, I'm in this area. I see fish, but I'm just not getting bit. Let's hightail it and go somewhere else. So it's, it's interesting. Cause I think, I think we're going to see some changes in a couple of years as, as more people adopt the sonar and use it that I think eventually these fish are going to get too pressured too on the offshore offshore deal. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I've had that conversation with a friend the other night. It's like, you know, and, and, he, and by the way, he's very, very good with forward facing sonar. But he's like, I'm ready for these fish to have too much of it. And I'm ready to go beat everyone on the bank because, <laughs> because it, because it's true. I mean, like that, those fish, uh, they have to, I mean, I know, especially in the crappie world, that's a big thing is like guys are rolling up and seeing crappie and the crappie go like the second, the yep. second producers hitting them, they're gone. And you think, uh, the bass are, uh, behind that too. So, um, man, I think it's, uh, it's a time time thing and, and fish get pressured they get wise they get they got wise to the a rig like i mean things will always work it's though as tournament anglers what is the most efficient and sometimes that's using live scope to see the piece of structure and making that cast and not worrying about following your lure all the way back because you can make that same cast or you're in an area where you know there's life it's like hey i don't have to necessarily watch every fish i can go down the bank and throw a jerk bait faster sometimes just going and just fishing and regular fishing and not being like, okay, wait, where's my bait? Where's this? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like I said, it's, I think, I think we're going to get to a point where eventually these fish will get in a way too pressured. Like I mentioned, like Lanier, I mean, we, it's funny. I I would almost argue, I, I guess people could argue against me with an up North example, but drop shot was probably somewhat refined on Lake Lanier. I mean, it was a dominating bait for a long time. I don't even tie a drop shot on it anymore. Wow. They they run away from it. I mean, you can watch them on live scope flip out there and they will move away from it. So, you know, I think, I think it'll be interesting the next couple of years, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, uh, you know, every day or every week we're doing it, you know, almost, almost every boat that comes in our shop, we are putting a live some sort of, I, I say live scope cause it was the first one, but some sort of forward sonar. Mm. Almost every boat is a wiring harness, a better battery, and a forward sonar. Um, and I and it's crazy to see just whether you're a local guy or a guy that just likes the fun fish or you know BFL Toyota, you know Elite Series, whatever angler. The every single conversation is how do I get forward sonar? How do I install it? How do I use it? Mm-hmm. And it's just that that is that is the thing right now. Period period you're right and and i think the we'll really threw it on on my like okay this is 100 percent it radar was this fall slash winter uh and again so colorado like is always behind the times to some extent from the rest of the country as far as like when stuff comes out and then guys like eventually get right a lot of people had especially towards the end of the year a forward-facing sonar uh last year and that was kind of when it all started sticking and i've again i've had mine like for two plus years. And so like, I kind of had it and had, have been learning it before kind of this wave, but really what put up my radar was this winter when I had friends who are not bass fishermen, who are, who are fly fishing guys. And we have like guys who go and chase wiper around at big lake trout. When I've got guys calling me, asking me about live scope and forward facing sonar, it's like, wow, this is not just the bass fishing world now. Like this is everybody. And it wasn't like there's crappie guys, but I'm just saying like, non-traditional species and and guys are using this in ways that are not uh, bass fishing related which is cool yeah i mean it's like i said it's it's crazy to see the refinement of the the, the technology it's crazy to see the brands i mean i think it's i think what's the big the big being the biggest trend in the past couple years is is um the brands pushing each other to come out with better products you know you have 
and, and it's better for the consumer that way. I mean, because originally back in the day, it was you ran Humminbird for side scan, you ran Lawrence for 2D sonar and waypoint management, mm-hmm. and Garmin was kind of in the mix a little bit. They really didn't have a great system back in the day. And then, yeah. you know, Garmin came out with the first Panoptics with the PS21 and 22 transducers. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And now you see, you know, you got, you know, Lawrence with their active target, which is a, a great system. Um, you've got, you know, Humminbird with their with their their Mega Live system and Mega 360. And now you've got Lawrence with the Ghost 360 and then Garmin coming out with their new LiveScope Plus. And I'm hearing rumors from buddies that work for all three companies about what's coming next. I mean, it's just yeah. it's great to see that all the brands are pushing each other to make better products that work for all the consumers. But I still think, you know, if you if you are a tournament angler, don't isolate yourself to a brand. I know I know from a sponsor perspective, a lot of guys do that, but. I'm here to tell you right now, um, you're probably going to be better off running a multitude of brands to take advantage of what's out there um, from all the brands with their niches compared to being isolated to one. And that's what I, I have that conversation all the time with people because, um, you know, if you run three brands and cut one extra check a year fish in the Elite Series or MLF, that automatically pays for itself compared to, you know, some sort of product sponsorship or whatever from a single okay. brand. Heck yeah. No, I think that same way. And I think that's an important message. I think, um, I think you will continue to see guys, uh, run multiple brands over and over. And and I just hope that it continues that way because it, it shows the benefits from each and it breeds more of that competition between brands. And, uh, that's when you get better products. That's what we're seeing right now. hundred percent. It's, it's also, it's been cool to see too, when we when we started Sonar Pros, there were there were not a lot of companies niche to installing these electronics. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, you have your traditional boat dealership that kind of does everything, you know, maintenance, sells the boats, installs. And now seeing, you know, there's a lot of companies like myself that have come out. Um, you know, you talked to John the other day with the Bass Tank. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing companies like himself come out is is I I, I love seeing it because talking to guys like him or 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 seeing companies come out that are specializing in the installation side of things and the, and, and, and the, the niche with the forward sonar is something I love to see because it's, it's just better for everything related to the, to the industry. So no doubt competition, man, it's good for everybody. Hey, bit, uh, competition is the best thing for any business period. Um, whether it's localized or regionalized um, it, it pushes, like I said earlier, we we're talking about the, the, the electronics brands. It pushes mm-hmm. everyone to come out with better products, come up with better processes and, and, and it just, it benefits the consumers. You know, from a business standpoint, you're like, dang it, they took business from me sometimes. <laughs> but at the same time, for the consumer, it's better for everyone. Um, yeah. And it makes you better as a business owner because you got to compete. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we manufacture, like I said, we talked about earlier, you know, we make a wiring harness that makes it number one, um, really easy for you to upgrade the wiring in your boat. Yes, you could do it yourself. But I mean, now the Bass Tank's got a wiring harness themselves. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's great to see different different you know seeing their design of a harness compared to our design of the harness yes does it does it solve essentially the same problem but it's two approaches i mean that's that's what i love to see is just everyone's you know ingenuity with the whole thing so awesome awesome well trent man we'll wrap things up here um i really appreciate you taking the time out today if you uh if you had and and i think uh I, i probably things don't change all that much when it comes to your biggest fish, but I would love to hear it again, especially just with uh, the, the total audience here. So what are your three biggest smallmouth, largemouth, spotted bass, and where you were when you caught them? Uh, so 
I, I, I don't remember the exact weights off the top of my head. Spotted bass, I've got a six plus on Lake Lanier. Um, smallmouth, I, I actually really don't. Actually, I take that. You're going to break it. I can tell you that if you don't, if you don't know it or if it's, yeah, <laughs> you're about I to break it. My buddy Tanner will probably correct me on this if he sees this podcast. I think it was either right at six or over six that smallmouth that I caught okay. on Lake Wilson when we were practicing for a tournament. We were fishing the tail races uh, out of the dam. And then my biggest largemouth was right. Uh, are we doing lake or pond fish? Either way, man. Let's hear the pond. Yeah. Gonna... So biggest largemouth pond fish was a, a thirteen forty eight on a oh uh, private a private pond in high school. Um, I got a picture of it in my room at my parents' house still. Um, and then um, I think my biggest lake fish was down. I think it was down at Okeechobee. Um, it was like lower eight pound range or so. So got you, man. Heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, That's I'm not. Awesome. I'm not a big fish guy. I'll uh, I'm, I'll I'm uh, I'll three pound him to death. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. I'm a turn like you know people get jacked up about like a a big one. Like in practice, I'll catch if you catch like a six or a seven. It's like, oh man, this is sweet, but I'm not even like I'm ready to get this thing back in the water. I don't even like. I'm mad about it. Hundred <laughs> percent. The next day. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, but anyways, uh, Trent, best way for folks to follow along with Sonar Pros, everything that you've got going. Um, go ahead and plug some of that stuff now, man. Yeah. So sonar pros wise, um, our new website just launched today. Um, so it's uh, sonarproselectronics.com. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at sonar pros. Um, we, uh, here lately, I haven't been that great at it. Um, just cause we've been covered up, but we typically try to post, um, a bunch of install pictures, just kind of showing, you know, the work we're doing, we got a lot of really cool content coming up with a lot of the anglers we sponsor being uh, Buddy Gross, Drew Cook, and Patrick Walter. So we got some really informative content that's coming out here soon. Um, and you can follow me personally on Instagram just at uh, at Palmer Trent um, if you're interested in, in how I do in tournaments. So. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, I will go ahead and link that stuff, guys, in the show description, both on YouTube and the podcast platform. So go ahead and check out the new website and uh, everything that Trent's got going. Trent, thanks for coming on, man, and uh, best of luck at Hartwell coming up here. I appreciate it, brother. You have a good one. You too, man. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.